0: we kick it off with premier john horgan shaming and blaming young people for the virus surge here's horgan yesterday the cohort from 20 to 39 are not paying as much attention to these broadcasts and quite frankly are putting the rest of us in a challenging situation i'm asking i'm appealing to young people to curtail your social activity. Uh, The directions will be quite clear from Dr. Henry, but my appeal to you is do not blow this for the rest of us. Do not blow this for your parents and your neighbors and others who have been working really, really hard, making significant sacrifices so we can get good outcomes for everybody. Okay, John Horgan there yesterday with a message to young people. Do not blow this for the rest of us. Pointing the finger at British Columbians, younger British Columbians. All right, I'll tell you what, a lot of young British Columbians not super impressed with the premier over that yesterday, including my first guest. Very pleased to welcome him, Justin Kulik. He is a former NDP candidate in the last election. In fact, he was the youngest NDP candidate in the last election. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Justin, thanks a lot for coming on.
1: My pleasure. Good to be here.
0: Okay, Justin, what did you think of that? the Premier pointing the finger at you and uh, other people in your age cohort?
1: I, I think it was unfortunate. I mean, it, it, it's easy to point fingers, but it, it doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing to do. And in, in this situation, uh, the Premier is pointing fingers without data to, point, to back it up. Uh, there simply is no data that demonstrates a current surge in cases in young people. And uh, Justin McElroy over, over at CBC uh, made made a lovely little little graph demonstrating that, uh, showing uh, an increase from, in, in say 30, uh, people in their 30s making up 18.1% of cases in the first year of the pandemic, now up to a whopping 18.9%. It, it's a yeah. very, very marginal difference and it, it doesn't demonstrate that we're seeing the surge that you'd expect to see if you're pointing fingers.
0: Right. I mean, these numbers are come from the BC Center for Disease Control, and if you, you dig a little deeper on them, so people in their 20s, uh, cases during the first year of the pandemic, people in their 20s made up 22.6% of the cases. Cases since March 13th uh, in the same age cohort, 24.1%. So still more, right? Like it's still there's still an increase there, but you're saying that it's not as big of an increase to warrant like being singled out like that.
1: Not even right? just that, I think it's I think it's important to consider vaccines on this, right? Uh, we're up to about 10% of British Columbians having received at least one dose of a vaccine. And those are all overwhelmingly, uh, people, uh, who, who are older. Right. So, so, so that would very likely offset any, uh, and any marginal increase we're seeing,
0: anyways. Okay. How old are you?
1: Uh, I'll be I'll be twenty in two days.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. So you're you're nineteen right now. Correct. Okay. okay. Um, you're at the back of the line for the vaccine. So I mean, and this I'm is this, line. this is another one that I've heard from young people here in the in the last twenty four hours that we've got a government here effectively that said, okay, we want you young people to go out there on the front line. Uh, of jobs essential service jobs so we want you to work in the bars go get us our chicken wings in the bars we want you to work in the in the in the gyms wipe down our elliptical machines when we're done working out you know punch my lift ticket at, at the ski hill so that you're on the front line but then when it comes to the vaccine you go to the back of the line you go to the back of the line to get to the vaccine Wh- like what do you think of that like and then to be and then to have the premier turn around and point a finger at you like, what do you think? Right. I
1: mean n- not just uh, considering vaccines, but but throughout this entire pandemic, it's been young people that have been particularly hit hard, right we, We've yeah. been hit by job losses, education, our mental health, uh, but we're, we're still working the front lines in grocery stores, restaurants, retail, delivery drivers. right uh, so, so it, it is young people who who are being told, hey, thank you for being essential workers but also smarten up because somehow uh, without data to back it up, we're going to point a finger at you.
0: Right. And of course, all those front, all those frontline workers are at greater risk of catching the virus.
1: Of course. And I mean, I, I, I'm not uh, one, one to to, to come forward and, uh, and and criticize so much of this, this vaccine rollout plan. I'd leave that to, 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 people who are more professional in in this okay. regard uh, and, and, I, and i recognize the the intent of, of vaccine distribution is to get uh the maximum benefit uh as, as quickly as possible oh well, yeah uh, but but it is it is a tough situation where young people have been on the front lines for over a year now uh, but are, are still being v- viewed as uh hey
0: smart up. Okay, speaking of Justin Kulik, he was the youngest NDP candidate in the last election. He's just 19. Uh, what riding did you run in in the last election for the NDP?
1: So in the last provincial election, I ran in the riding of Kelowna Lake Country. Uh, and oh. In the last federal election, I ran in the riding of the same name.
0: Okay, Kelowna, yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, a tough riding for the NDP. So I'm not surprised you you were not successful there because you're like a sacrificial lamb there. So like you were like a good soldier for the NDP running for them in a kind of a no hoper uh, riding, and here you are uh, criticizing the, uh, the NDP premier. So have you res- I, I, I pushed yeah, back a little ahead. bit there? I mean, sure. I
1: mean to be fair, uh, in in this last uh, BBC election uh, where I was running, we, we've had we had our highest showing since 2005. Okay, uh, and and we are we're seeing increase after increase, and well, yes, may, maybe now it might be viewed as a hard a hard riding for us. But
0: I guess my I guess my point is that you were a good soldier for the NDP. You've been a, a big supporter of this party, and yet now here you are criticizing the the NDP premier because you're calling on him to apologize, right?
1: I am calling on him to apologize. Yes. Why? I I, I think it's. I think it sends a message uh, that, that right now, uh, th- this rhetoric coming from the Premier, it, it, it's being heard by British Columbians, it's being amplified by British Columbians, regardless of age. And I, I think it's important that the Premier can recognize that this is not constructive language. Uh, and it, it, it's harmful to, to these essential workers who are on the front lines and have been for over a year.
0: Have you received any pushback from the party saying like, Justin, what are you doing? You're you're one of our guys. You're out here criticizing the premier and calling on him to apologize. You're one of our guys. Like, has anyone said like you're being a bit of a traitor to the NDP for speaking out?
1: But no, no one from uh, from uh, the, the internal party structure, so to speak. Uh, I, I will say, like, I've I, I've seen many many folks who who also uh, will. Uh, support the NDP co- coming to me and saying, hey, this is great to see uh, people standing out against their own party uh, as, yeah. as a sort of pushback against uh, this this partisan sort of politics we're seeing all so often.
0: No, well, yeah, I congratulate you for doing it. I think we need more, more of what you're doing for sure. But you've got the, uh, like I noticed on Twitter, some of your tweets have gone kind of viral on Twitter, uh, including like liberal MLAs. I guess with some great delight retweeting you, like here's a here's a former NDP candidate on the attack against the premier. So you got the Liberals retweeting you. What do you think of that?
1: Well, I mean, I, I I added a little reply on under under my tweet, uh, which I'll, I'll just read it. And and to sure. the BC Liberals, Liberal MLAs retweeting me, your 16 years in government were far more harmful. Uh, for young people's education than these comments are they have no moral high ground on this issue all
0: right okay but that still doesn't make you back down right you're you know like what did you why are you speaking out this way and this? like you you actually felt really strongly about these comments right like what what went through your mind when you heard Horgan say this stuff yesterday
1: i i was i was disappointed i yeah. i mean I, I ran alongside the premier in in, the, in this past election and i was I was happy to be part of such a diverse slate of candidates uh, and and represent represent the young people of this province yeah. but it it, it it is disappointing to uh, the next year uh, be be told that you'd uh, be told that young people are, are the problem here when there isn't data to support well,
0: it. Well, let me read some other data to you that's been released by the Premier's office here this morning. So the Premier's office saying that, okay, we're talking people between the age of 20 and 40, which is basically the age group that Horgan called out yesterday, 20 and 40, 40% of the most recent cases... This last surge in cases, over 3,000 new cases, 40% are in that age bracket, but that age bracket represents only 28% of the population. So the, the Premier's office is saying that he's just stating the fact that the young people in this current surge, like what we've seen in the last few days, is disproportionately higher among young people.
1: But that, that simply isn't relevant uh, in, in this case. We, we've seen very similar numbers, uh, very similar percentages of of young people making up uh, cases throughout the last year of this pandemic as well.
2: Yeah. So
1: right right now, we're, we're, we are seeing uh, an increase in cases, but we're seeing that increase in cases among all age demographics, not just young people. Okay. And that's where I push back.
0: Justin, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it a lot.
1: My pleasure. Okay. Great to be here.
0: back to the show. You heard my conversation there with Justin Kulik. He was the uh, former NDP candidate, the youngest candidate for the NDP in the last election, calling out the premier here this morning, asking him to apologize after Horgan yesterday pointed the finger at young people, blamed them for the COVID surge. Let's go to your calls. Mackenzie on the line in North Van. Hi.
3: Hi, Mike. How are you?
0: I'm fine, thanks. Go ahead.
3: Uh, so I would like to say that I really enjoyed listening to that young um, guy you had on. He, uh, yeah. I, I also agree. I think that Horgan should have to apologize to the young people of BC. Um, I am a person that I actually lost my job due to the pandemic, and I've just been doing school online. But I have a lot mm-hmm. of family and friends who are in my age group who have been just going to school. They come home, and they don't do anything else but that. And yeah. I don't think it's fair to just lump us all into this one group of you're socializing and you're not listening to Dr. Bonnie Henry. We are listening to Dr. Bonnie Henry and it's showing in our mental health and I promise yeah. you it's it's I just it's not fair that we're all be lumping lumping together like this.
0: How how old are you, Mackenzie?
3: I'm turning twenty five this year.
0: Twenty five, okay. So when you heard Horgan point the finger at you and other people your age, uh, you know, what went through you what, what were you feeling when you heard that?
3: I just feel unrepresented and misrepresented i guess is the more proper word because Mm -hmm. it's it's like it's like a dad or a grandpa saying like oh you're just this young young person who doesn't know what they're talking about or isn't listening Mm -hmm. because they don't want to that's not the situation we're smart individuals who deserve to like stand up for ourselves
0: right okay mackenzie thank you very much for the call let's go to michelle on the line in abbotsford hi michelle
3: Hey, Mike, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, I agree with your last caller, too. Um, I think the mental health is a, is a big part of it. And yeah. has the recovery rate changed? You know, has that rate changed? No, it hasn't. That rate hasn't changed. So let's look at the number of deaths, perhaps, but let's look at the rate of recovery. All of these people are building their own natural antibodies, too. That's a good thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the recovery rate is still there they may be getting the the covid uh positive
0: but they are okay thank you thank you for the call michelle i take your point that you know younger people are obviously uh can recover more from the virus i mean we knew that from the start of this thing i i still I, I still think that the key thing for Horgan here that that I found a little uncomfortable about that yesterday was just calling out such a, a broad segment of the population and blaming them for it. I, I'm not sure that's helpful right now. Ahmed in Burnaby, hi,
4: hi, Mike, thanks thanks for picking my call. Sure, go I love ahead. The show by the way. Thank you. I disagree with the young MP. I'm an Uber driver, and majority times when I pick up young, you know, youngsters, they are going to birthday parties, house parties.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So I somehow agree with the Premier that, you know what, they are the age group that's spreading. I'm a young guy myself. I'm 35. So I do agree with the Premier, and I disagree with the young and Well, people.
0: he's calling out you too, though.
4: Yeah, I understand that. But majority. do you think you're to blame too? Obviously, when someone says, you know, they, they mentions the age group, it's not the, the entire age group. But the majority of youngsters that I pick up, they are going to birthday parties, they are going to house parties, and, you know, that I feel like they are spreading, helping the spread, especially during the spring break.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you, the spring break, yeah. Well, this is one of the things, Achmed, thank you for the call. This is one of the things I found curious is that these uh, new restrictions come now after spring break kind of weird timing all right welcome back to the show it was interesting yesterday to follow the bouncing ball on the astrazeneca vaccine in canada canada now pushing the pause button here on the use of this particular vaccine for adults below the age of 55 this came from some top public health officials in canada yesterday after an advisory panel uh, cited substantial uncertainty around the potential risk of this vaccine for developing rare stress, rare blood clots for adults uh, below age 55. So Canada now pushing the pause button on the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine. The use of this vaccine is now paused as well, of course, in British Columbia. Here's Dr. Bonnie Henry on that yesterday.
2: Over this past week, a signal was detected in younger people in Europe Using the AstraZeneca vaccine. While the instances are rare, this is a very rare condition with tens of millions of doses of this vaccine being used. We are taking the precaution of suspending the use of this vaccine for people who are under age 55 for the next few days
0: okay dr bonnie henry there yesterday confirming bc will also hit the pause button here on the astrazeneca vaccine let's discuss now with my guest conservative mp michelle rempel garner she is the vice chair of the federal health committee uh, the conservative health critic i'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show michelle thanks a lot for coming on thanks
5: so much for having me
0: okay i appreciate it a lot what do you think about this move by canada here to hit the pause button on on this particular vaccine
5: well, I think there's a lot of questions. Um, you know, yesterday was such a confusing day. We had uh, two senior officials from uh, the various departments of health on TV almost at the same time, on one hand saying we're going to pause it, on the other hand saying that they're not. Um, yeah. and, and this comes after two, like two weeks ago, the department was saying that there's nothing to worry about. But during that time period, thousands of Canadians received their first dose who, who now mm-hmm. fall into the, or who fall into that age category.
0: So, yeah, no. I believe we've got uh, some teachers here in British Columbia under age 55 who have received a first shot of AstraZeneca. So, uh, like, like, what happens to them now? What, what about when they're when they're due to get their second shot?
5: My office is getting flooded today with that exact question, and yeah. I don't have the answer right now. It's something that we need to press for. I have called for an emergency meeting of the health committee uh, to to bring ministers and um, senior officials in front of us to ask those questions, but. Again, like uh, Trudeau and uh, the senior public health officials were just out on national TV and, you know, they weren't giving that advice. And they have to. um, There needs to be clarity uh, so that we can have confidence in our public health institutions and also so that, you know, we don't see vaccine hesitancy become an issue. But certainly in the last 24 hours, I, I think that the government's response to this has been confusing and it's causing, you know, undue concern for, 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 for frontline workers who really do need do need to have um, an access to a safe tool like, a, you know, a, a safe vaccine.
0: Right. As you mentioned, there were some conflicting comments coming out yesterday from different officials at the highest level here. And let me play a couple of clips here for you and, and get your response. So here is Dr. Howard New, who is the Deputy Chief Public Health Officer, uh, talking about the AstraZeneca vaccine.
2: Adults 55 years of age and older may still be offered the AstraZeneca vaccine given the increased risk of hospitalization and death due to COVID-19 in this population and since Vipid reports have been even rarer in that age group.
0: Okay, so there is saying that it's okay to take it over 55, but you should not, you said earlier, you should not take it under 55. Now, practically at the same time, Dr. Supriya Sharma, who is the chief medical officer at Health Canada, talking about the same vaccine. We
5: still don't have enough information to say, uh, first of all, that the risks outweigh the benefits in overall or in any specific age group. Nor is there enough data to say that that one group, be it females or males or a specific age group, is more at risk.
0: OK, okay. so this is, as you pointed out, this is almost practically at the same time that we got different officials saying, I don't know, how would, how would you describe what, what happened there?
5: Well, I was preparing to go into a press conference to comment on this, and we had two TVs on, and I I was like, well, what's the advice, right? Yeah. So, and I mean, like, this is me as a senior legislator. For for somebody who's considering, uh, you know, a a decision about their health, I mean, like, this this is pretty necessary for the federal government to be clear on. And this sort of ambiguity, even just from a process perspective, needs to be instantly uh, rectified by the minister. She never should have let um, this sort of a debacle happen. So we'll have questions for
0: her on that. Well, was it cleared up later in the day yesterday? I mean, what is Health Canada's official position on this now?
5: So they have paused it, but it was after, you know, a day of of back and forth, like the clips you just played. And then again, two weeks ago, not two years ago, but two weeks ago, I had... These same officials in front of our health committee, and they express no concern. So the question yeah. now that they do have to answer is: What happens to somebody who has received their first shot? Um, what what should they do? That's a question that has not been answered yet. And then going forward, uh, clearly we need a better system of decision making and uh, communications to the public on an issue that's this important.
0: Right, and I think the uh, one of the critical points here is for people who have already received this particular vaccine and we have people in british columbia who have received their first shot of astrazeneca they are under age 55 so this is the same age group that is now being told don't take it they've already they've already received the first shot of it so like you mentioned that your office has been flooded with calls about this like what happens when it's time to get the second shot can they get a second shot of like pfizer Instead I don't
5: know. I'm not a doctor, but I sure wish the doctors were providing these answers, right I think you know you keep raising this this really good point, which is they've set these like age thresholds for on this vaccine and they've also made decisions on extending the, the time between doses of the yeah. Pfizer vaccine that no other country is doing and they're doing this because of they keep saying this uh, what Sharma what said on there the risk benefit calculation. And so, what I take that to mean is that the risk of getting the vaccine for certain age groups is higher than the benefit of the protection that the vaccine would provide uh, from the from COVID nineteen. And that is that's the federal government has not talked at all about what that means. They need to clarify that. They need to clarify what data uh, that they're using on decision making processes for quote unquote risk benefit calculations. Because like, this is now, in Canada, we have a principle on healthcare about informed consent. And I think now a lot of Canadians probably have questions about whether or not they are entering into this with informed consent based on the confusing information that we've had in the last 24 hours, as well as the decision-making process that's, that's being used to, to make these recommendations. There needs to be transparency, clarity, and this, this, this needs to be explained to the public in a way that everybody understands. So, um, and also consistency in decision-making as well. Uh, this is, you know, this is what I've been pushing for the entire time. Um, you know, the government has not followed through with that, but I think it's going to be absolutely critical if they want to prevent vaccine hesitancy for them to address issues right. of, of clarity and consistency as well as informed consent.
0: Right. Speaking to Conservative MP Michelle Rempel-Garner about the AstraZeneca vaccine, we we're just hearing on the news this morning that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, this morning announced uh, uh, a surge in the Pfizer vaccine delivery schedule. So we're going to get a lot more Pfizer vaccine than we were told, up to 9.6 million Pfizer doses. Um, that's good news, right?
5: You know, any any more of these tools that we get in, it's a good thing. I, I, what I don't understand, though, is how long or like, is AstraZeneca now um, totally off the table as a tool in Canada? And uh, if that's the case, then what is the net new intake of vaccines during this time period? Um, the reality is, is that we're months behind other countries, and there's a real impact to this. The impact is that we are seeing an increase in cases due to the variants, And, uh, other countries are not seeing this to the same extent because they have more of a higher percentage of their, their population having access to vaccines, particularly, um, elderly Canadian or, or elderly members of the populations who are more vulnerable. So, uh, more needs to be done. Um, I think that keeping political pressure on the government, uh, to do the right thing helps. And, you know, certainly that's my job as an opposition member. But I do think the Canadian public have the right to ask. Um, you know, basic questions about this uh, so that they're getting answers and data that they deserve.
0: Okay. We continue to follow it very closely. I'm very very grateful for your time this morning. Thank you for coming on. Take care. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows, and they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. All right, welcome back to the show. Yesterday, Dr. Bonnie Henry announced all school districts in the province will now require students in grade four and up to wear face masks in schools. The new rule expands the previous mask requirement that only covered high school students. Also, the concerns around the AstraZeneca vaccine in Canada of key interest to BC teachers as well. So a great opportunity to check in now Terry Mooring, President of the BC Teachers Federation, and I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Terry, thank you for coming on.
6: Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. Thank you for being here. Let me play this here for you. This is Dr. Bonnie Henry yesterday talking about this expanded mask mandate in schools.
2: We're going to be updating our K-12 public health guidance to support mask wearing for all students down to grade four in schools across the province. We know that, uh, that this needs to be done in a way that supports children to wear masks at all times when they're in the school setting and to make sure that we are um, doing that in a way that is positive and supportive for children.
0: Okay, okay, Terry Mooring, this is something that uh, the union's been seeking for a long time. How do you react to this?
6: Well, I mean, we're, we're pleased that there is going to be a broader mask mandate. Uh, you know, we, we do wish <laughs> that there was just a little bit more... Um, information provided when these kinds of announcements are made because there is quite a bit of confusion today about what those words actually mean. Um, mm. But I was lucky What's enough the, to What talk. is the confusion? So the confusion is around um, what the mass mandate actually means in the in the long run because we words like support supported to wear masks instead of mandated to wear masks um i think in that clip you just played it's pretty clear though that they're going to be required from grades four to 12 and i have spoken to the minister of education and she was very clear with me about what it meant we have a current mask mandate in surrey and that mask mandate in surrey will basically be provided across the entire province um, but until we actually see those words written down on paper, you know, we have superintendents and district administrators who are confused, and I don't blame them. Um, you know, there, isn't, there often isn't just, you know, clarity of communication around these kinds of things. We've been trying to, uh, to provide that for our members, um, but we're awaiting, you know, just a little bit more detail in writing from the ministry.
0: Right. So is your concern, therefore, that is this a rule or, an, or a requirement or is it really just a guideline or a suggestion? Is that, is that where the confusion lies?
6: Well, I, th- I think there's a lot of confusion because uh, this, I believe, also changed, changes the current mask mandate in place for secondary students where they can hmm. take their mask off at their desk. Um, We heard Dr. Henry say grades 4 to 12 wearing masks at all times in schools, and so it further strengthens the mask mandate that's already there as well in that regard. Um, And so, but oftentimes people, you know, especially when you have a large system like the education system, people want to see things in writing, and that really hasn't been provided um, but uh, we're pretty clear on what it means. We think it's very positive for the system in terms of keeping people safer. Um, and it's, it's one step. And, and we know it's one step. It's certainly masks don't solve all problems.
0: And and as you understand it, do, you ha- do kids have to wear masks while they're sitting at their desk now?
6: Yes. And so okay. students need to, are going to be required, and all staff and volunteers and students in grades 4 to 12 will be required to wear masks at all times. And the other thing that's really good about the the order um, is that uh, students from kindergarten to grade three are strongly recommended and encouraged to wear masks. That's really good language um, because it's very, very clear. There's also quite a number of exceptions, and and that's also good because, you know, obviously not all students can wear a mask for various reasons, psychological, behavioral, or, or perhaps physical and so that that 's also very clear within the surrey order and um, and that needs to be the case as well, so that everyone understands um, what the rules are it's um <laughs> you know as you can imagine in a system the size of of b c education system it, it, it the clearer the better uh, and so I was pleased when I heard the minister say it would be the same order as was given in Surrey because it is crystal clear. And when it says required to wear masks, you know, that's a mask
0: mandate. Right. Speaking of Terry Mooring, president of the BC Teachers Federation, do you feel any kind of frustration that we've arrived at this point after, I don't know, how many months have you been calling for this?
6: Yeah, it's very, very frustrating. Uh, And, you know, I think we're in a a pretty... um, Difficult time in BC right now. The numbers are very high. The numbers of the variants are high. And I think, uh, you know, it it would have made sense to put this in place some time ago. But, you know, it's good that it's in place now. Uh, We also need to look at physical distancing in schools and and perhaps give uh, districts the ability to go to a hybrid model if necessary. Because looking at the numbers, it's very concerning. And we heard uh, from Dr. Henry yesterday it's very concerning. And so we need to be nimble within education to um, address these situations as they arise. So in other words, if we start to see as Island Health put out a letter to you know, um, a public letter talking about uh, their concerns around children uh, becoming more, you know, many more children getting COVID, for example. So, if that's the case and they're concerned about that, there ought to be an ability for districts to be nimble around that. If they're seeing some concerning things, you know, talk to the health authority and then put in hybrid learning if necessary. So, that that's the kind of thing that we're
0: still working on. What do, what do you say to people, parents out there who are, are wondering uh, about? Their kids and whether their kids should should they should pull their kids out of school or maybe try to do some sort of distance learning option, given the numbers that we're seeing. Like like I've got a son in grade ten in public school and I I, I'm not too worried. Like I feel that Mm -hmm. there are safety protocols in place at his school. Uh, And I've talked to other parents who feel like their kid is much better off in school than being out of school. It's more damaging to be out of school to mental health and other things and learning outcomes. Like, when we when we take a look at how this virus has acted in the schools, like, have a lot of teachers got COVID?
6: Well, what we say, well, first of all, we're committed to having schools stay open. Yeah. We believe that students need to be in school. And that's why we've been fighting so hard for the safety measures, because, you know, that that's part of it. Yes, kids need to be in school, but there also needs to be safety protocols that are appropriate in place. And so we're very committed to that. Um, and that's why we're still working on the other things. But just in terms of, um, you know, get, as teachers getting COVID, I mean, we know that um, COVID-19 does um, transfer between adults more easily and, and older teenagers as well. Um, and so what we see in terms of the WorkSafe data, which is the only information we have because the government's still not releasing any data at all, um, is that it, the education sector has the highest number of WorkSafe claims 75% of those claims are elementary school teachers. That's concerning. Um, the second highest out of all the all the uh, work sectors in BC. And yeah, so that's healthcare,
0: healthcare workers are the highest for work-safe and they're, claims. They're
6: highest by far. So right. we're not comparing ourselves in any way to healthcare workers, but we're number two. Yeah. Uh, and so that means that there's in-school transmission. That's why you would file a claim and get it accepted. So out of the claims that are accepted, we're the second highest. Right. And, and right. that's concerning. And so, you know, that's why the mask mandate's important. That's why districts pivoting to hybrid learning, if necessary, is important. Because, again, that would allow schools to stay open. We've been very committed to that from the okay.
0: start. Let me ask you about the AstraZeneca vaccine. And we have now Canada pushing the pause button on the use of this vaccine for adults below the age of 55. Dr. Bonnie Henry commented yesterday on AstraZeneca also being paused in British Columbia. Let's have a little listen to that. So here's Dr. Henry yesterday on the AstraZeneca vaccine.
2: Over this past week, a signal was detected in younger people in Europe using the AstraZeneca vaccine. While the instances are rare, this is a very rare condition with tens of millions of doses of this vaccine being used, we are taking the precaution of suspending the use of this vaccine for people who are under age 55 for the next few days.
0: Okay, have some teachers under the age of 55 already received the AstraZeneca vaccine first dose?
6: They, ha- they have and so we've got a number of communities. Your Surrey is one of them. Prince Rupert is another, and some some other uh, school communities actually that have received um, vaccinations. And so there are teachers under or in the in the age range that, you know, of concern um, that have received it. We're encouraging them that if they have any symptoms that they should go talk to their medical doctor, make an appointment to see their medical doctor. Uh, again, this is a rare occurrence and so we would not expect this to be a situation in very many cases. But you the, rare,
0: know, the, rare the rare occurrence you're describing is these reports of blood clots that mm-hmm. some people have developed after taking this vaccine, but extremely rare. Mm-hmm. right yeah
6: yes and so i mean my hope is that you know further uh, information is gathered you know i think that's the purpose of this it was described as a pause uh, i think that's prudent let's get some more information so people have confidence in the um, vac- vaccines they're getting that that's very important um and then let's let let's uh, you know get yeah. going i'm hoping you know that the essential workers vaccination program will continue with other vac- vaccines if uh that's possible because I think it is very important that we maintain kind of that time frame around essential is, workers getting vaccinated.
0: One of the things I'm wondering about is, let's say you're a teacher and you've received your first shot of AstraZeneca. Now you've got officials saying, don't give it to people under age 55. What do they do about their second shot if they're not supposed to receive it?
6: And and that's still a bit of an unknown. I know that there is yeah. research right now into getting you know, different types of vaccinations and, and, you know, the efficacy around that. So so we're in a really, you know, it's a stressful situation we're in because the research is evolving as we're going um, and necessarily so because you need to have vaccinations, uh, you know, put developed quickly when you're in a pandemic like we're in. Um, but there, you know, there are some situations where we have to be careful. Uh, I think that we are being careful. Uh, I, I'm pleased with Canada's response and BC's response around the vaccinations. And so, you know, we'll get more information, and then hopefully, okay. Astrazeneca is cleared. It's really important to have, you know, as many vaccines as possible, um, and we can get going.
0: Right. Okay. Here's Dr. Bonnie Henry again. She was asked about the possibility to. Uh, the need to maybe change this vaccine plan, given the concerns, given the concerns around this AstraZeneca vaccine. Here she is yesterday. It is
2: possible that we may need to uh, use that vaccine in people where we know this uh, this rare event is not likely to happen. But those are things that we'll be working out in the next few days.
0: Okay, so I'm wondering about the plan here going forward for teachers as frontline workers to get this shot. Um, is this the concern around this AstraZeneca vaccine? Does that does that impact the plan now to vaccinate teachers?
6: Well, that's you know we're hoping that's not the case, and and we're hoping this you know gets cleared up fairly quickly. I know in in Surrey, for example, they had availability of Pfizer, and so they used that vaccination on the rest of the uh, rest of the teachers that got vaccinated there. That's great if they're able to do that. Um, you know for the essential workers, that's great. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that uh, we stay within the time frame. And I, I really didn't hear anything that I was concerned about in terms okay. of halting vaccinations or delaying the timelines. Like I, what I heard is that we need may need to look at different populations for the AstraZeneca because it was being used for very specific purposes and often, in you know, with younger, younger um Uh, people. And so, you know, hopefully we get additional information very soon about this.
0: Okay, we continue to follow it very closely. Thank you for your time today.
6: Thank you very much, Mike.
0: All right, welcome back to the show. My next guest is Eileen Park Robertson. Eileen is a Korean American journalist. Uh, She's speaking out about the anti-Asian hate and racism on the rise in our city. And I'm very pleased to welcome her. Eileen, thank you for coming on today.
7: Thank you for inviting me, Mike.
0: Oh, you bet. It's my pleasure to have you here. And I, I'm, I've been following very closely your advocacy and leadership on this. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's really great how you've been speaking out, including your appearance at a large uh, anti-Asian racism rally on Sunday at a big mm-hmm. crowd outside the art gallery. So uh, thank you for being here. Let me ask you a little bit about um, about your background, because a lot of people may not uh, know you that well. Can you, uh, so you're a former mm-hmm. journalist, right? You work for, is it CB, CBS?
7: Yeah, I was a reporter and an anchor for 12 years, a foreign correspondent, a national correspondent, and also a local correspondent. So I've literally been on every different level of the journalistic ladder.
0: Yeah, no, that's re- that's really great. And now you're based in Vancouver. Like, I'm curious your thoughts on when you moved from America um, to, mm-hmm. to Canada, did you notice any... Like I, I think there's a lot of Canadians who have this feeling, like, oh, we're less. There's less racism in Canada than than the United States. Do you think that's true?
7: You know, that is a reputation, and that's a yeah. great reputation to have. And COVID really has not allowed for a lot of social interaction. So I can't say from personal experience that there is a significant difference between my experiences abroad or in the states as opposed to Canada. So it's hard to quantify that, but. The, the welcoming nature and culture of Canadians has been mm-hmm. overwhelming and wonderful to receive.
0: Right, but we've got anti-Asian racism certainly on the right. rise in this city. I mean, the Vancouver police have talked about a 700% increase in hate crimes reported. It's mm-hmm. troubling. What do you think of that? Yeah.
7: It is deeply troubling, and it shows yeah. you the invisible pain and the invisible racism that is happening in the city yeah. that people don't know about or talk about. But I'm glad we are now.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you about the, um, the viral Facebook uh, video that you recorded that really got a, a lot of attention. And This was after your uh, recent marriage to Gregor Robertson, of course, the former Vancouver mayor. Congratulations, mm-hmm. by the way. And Thank you. And the wedding was covered by Vogue magazine, and you mm-hmm. guys got, uh, there's a photo shoot in Stanley Park. Photos were beautiful. Um, then, what was the reaction? Like, the reaction to that is what is what caused you to speak out, right? Because I know you got a lot of congratulations and, mm. and positive response, but you got a lot of hate, too, right?
7: We got a lot of hate that had racial undertones to it. So... Mm-hmm. This was letter, literally less than 48 hours after eight people died in Atlanta, and six of them Asian women. And when a national, international conversation is happening about Asian hate, yeah. to receive a barrage of hate specifically directed at me. I'm not talking about people who disagreed with Gregor's politics. I'm specifically talking about people who pointed out the fact that I'm an Asian woman and used racist language to target me. I could not remain silent. Atlanta changed everything for me. I normally wouldn't say anything. Normally, historically, I've just kept quiet, ignored it, and moved on. But I realized that my silence is allowing this type of behavior to continue so that's why I spoke
6: out
0: yeah and it was really incredibly powerful let me play a very very short clip here of your uh, Facebook video that you recorded here it is I
7: was bombarded with hate-filled messages people laughing about men having yellow fever
0: Yeah, ye- yellow fever so mm-hmm. w- what, what does that mean like what are people suggesting there
7: yellow fever is it's very simple it's when a man or a woman specifically has an obsession with Asian women oh. or Asian men. That's yellow fever. When you are zeroed in on our race as a means to either fulfill your own sexual pleasure or those are the, we are the only race that you want as partners. That's yellow fever.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned. I think you described it as uh, Asian women being fetishized. Yeah. Yeah. Could you? What does that mean?
7: So, Mike, I do want to say this. After I spoke about my personal experience with discrimination and fetishization and being hypersexualized, I was I was overwhelmed by people all over the city, all over the country, really reaching out to say that they had no idea this was going on, that they are now examining within themselves when they have fetishized or hypersexualized women and this is significant because the historical oppression asian women in particular face it's been ignored for too long our pain has been invisible for too long and you know suddenly we were having a national conversation about the, this historically invisible pain and A lot of really fascinating discussions came out as a result of this. And this is something that I really want to make clear, because when I speak specifically about the hypersexualization and fetishization of Asian women being harmful and racist, Uh I'm talking narrowly about that being used to keep us in oppression, to dehumanize us, to perpetuate the generationally reinforced stereotype that we are objects you can buy and use for your pleasure, I am not talking about a woman 's individual sexual empowerment. These are two very different things
4: mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. no, it 's it's definitely important thing to talk about. Let me ask you about the, the rise in kind of hate crimes as we talked earlier about the seven hundred percent increase in reported hate crimes. In the city of Vancouver, which is just unbelievable, but we see this all all around uh, North America, including in our our own newscast right. today. This shocking assault on an Asian woman in New York City, and I'll play a short report here from the Associated Press, and then I'd get your reaction to it, Eileen. Here's here's the report.
2: Police say the woman was walking in Midtown Manhattan Monday afternoon when a man came up to her, kicked her in the stomach, knocking her to the ground, then stomped on her face several times while yelling anti-Asian comments at her. Then he walked away. Witnesses appeared to just stand by. The woman was taken to the hospital with serious injuries. The police commissioner calls the attack disgusting. The NYPD's Hate Crime Task Force is investigating and is asking anyone who knows anything about this to contact the department. I'm Rita Foley.
0: That's a report from the Associated Press. Eileen, did you see that video? I did, late last
7: night.
0: Yeah, what did you think of that?
7: Well, I wept, Mike. Mm -hmm. Honestly... I've been having a difficult time this morning suppressing my rage because these are our mothers, our sisters, our grandmothers and grandfathers being attacked over and over again. And that anti-Asian hate that people have been harboring for a long time is now spilling over and manifesting in violent assaults. My mom goes to church three times a week, and I've called her. I woke her up last night. She's on East Coast time. I woke her up and said, I do not want you walking anywhere. You are not to go anywhere. And we both cried for about an hour. You know, Mike, I also want to address a deeper issue here. I know most people are listening right now and they're thinking, I'm never going to commit violence against anyone. I'm not racist. I love my Asian friends and neighbors. The problem isn't exclusively just about overt racism, overt hate. We don't talk enough about covert racism, casual racism. Yeah. The oppression that Asian, our Asian community faces is from the thousands and thousands of everyday microaggressions we have had to endure. And when you have people telling you every single day, you look funny, your food is weird, why do you talk like that? And the endless barrage of dismissive language, you have a deeply wounded community. And I just want people to find somewhere in their hearts to empathize and imagine being told in one way or another your entire life that who you are as a human is not good enough. And from that vantage point, examine inside themselves when they have dismissed an Asian person, even if it seems really small, because when you inflict even a small slight against an oppressed community, it manifests in deep permanent wounds Mm
0: -hmm.
7: and we're seeing that this is more of a this sounds more like a a philosophical conversation but just think about that for a moment so that would be my challenge to anyone listening i I think
0: i think it's very important thing to ponder and it's an important issue especially with the very disturbing rise that we're seeing in these type of incidents and reports. My last, my last question for you, Eileen, I, I'm really impressed with the way you've been speaking out, um, including your appearance at that rally in front of the art gallery there on, on the weekend. How, how, can, how can we change this, do you think? I mean, do you think having these conversations is, is, is helpful, or what do you hope to achieve with your, your, advoc- your, uh, your own advocacy?
7: Well, I, it's, if something someone says, Of racial bias or discrimination, hate, or intolerance, call that
2: person out. Call
7: them out gently or call them out with blunt force. I think what has surprised a lot of people is that I have directly intervened when it has been called, specifically called out um, by me, like, meaning when it has been addressed to me, I would call it out. I don't care if you have one follower or. 100,000. I will call you out. And so I want everyone to join me and all of us in the Asian community to call it out when they see it too.
0: Okay, right on. I love it. Thank you, Eileen, for coming on the show today. It was my great pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Mike.